Hello, I'm Ren Ferguson. I'm one of the ministers here at the Collinsville Troy Church of Christ, and I'm so glad that you have joined us today as we continue our study of the book of Matthew. And today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. Now, as always, there's a lot within these chapters, and, and we're going to try to bring out a few important passages and, and points to think about uh, throughout this chapter. Now, in verses 1 through 8, we have Jesus healing a, a paralytic, someone who was paralyzed. Now, this particular healing is is a little bit different, not because of the the way that he healed them or anything like that, but because of some of the things that happened surrounding uh, his healing. In verse 2, Behold, some people brought to him a paralytic laying on a bed, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now this caused a lot of problems because in the next verse the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. And here Jesus is, of course he's going to heal this man later in this passage, but, but Jesus has said your sins are forgiven and that, that again it caused a lot of issues with the scribes. They began accusing him of, of blaspheming. Jesus, as it says in verse 4, he knew their hearts and he says, why do you think evil in your hearts? And he does this in verse 6, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He was, he was forgiving this man of his sins because of his faith, as we see there in verse 2. But he was doing it also to show these people that he has the power. He has the authority from God to forgive sins because, as we talked about a couple of days ago, he is God. He has that authority to forgive sins on earth, as he says in verse 6. Jesus has that authority. No one else on earth has ever had that authority save for Christ. And, and after he has made this point, he heals the man. He, he turns and he, he says to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. So Jesus, as he's healing this paralytic, he uses the opportunity to prove to all of those around and to prove to the scribes that he has the authority and the power to forgive, to forgive sins. In verse 9, we see Jesus calling Matthew, the, the author of this book. He was sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Much like Peter and Andrew and James and John, whenever Jesus called him, he dropped everything that he was doing and began following him. Now in verses 10 through 13, we see something else that's very interesting. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." After he has called Matthew, he, he is there in the house and he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. And, and the Pharisees, of course, are ridiculing him because of this. And Jesus says, I am here to seek and to save the lost. I am here to save these people, to instruct them, to show them the truth so that they might be saved regardless of, of the fact that they're tax collectors or regardless of the sins that they have committed in their past. He was there to teach them and show them the truth. The Pharisees wouldn't do that. The Pharisees would have no association with people like this that they thought in essence were beneath them. 
They would have no contact with them whatsoever. And Jesus is saying, that's not who I am. That's not what I'm doing. I'm here to try to save these people. And I'm going to teach them. And I'm going to instruct them in the truth. And then in verses 14 through 17, uh, the disciples of John and uh, come up to Jesus and they ask in verse 14, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And in verses 15 through 17, Christ gives them a couple of different illustrations, but I believe his point uh, with all of them is very similar. And that is the fact that fasting was not appropriate for the disciples of Jesus at the time. He uses that example of the bridegroom. He says, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast. He's saying, I'm still with them. There's no need for them to fast right now. There's no need for them to mourn. There's no need for them to weep. There's no need for them to fast because I'm still here. But when I'm gone, they will fast. But not only that, I think he's also trying to make the point in verses 16 and 17 and, and obviously in other passages as well, the fact that his disciples, his followers, and really no one, but especially his disciples and followers were not bound by the traditions of the Pharisees. Now we know that there were some fasts that they were to keep that were commanded, but, but those Pharisees, of course, had begun to to bind their traditions surrounding these things rather than the actual commands that had been given to them by God. And so I think Jesus is both likewise making the point that it's not appropriate for them to fast right now because he's still with them. And also the fact that they're not bound by the traditions of the Pharisees, but by the law and the commands of God. And so that's what we have there in verses 14 through 17. Now in verses 18 through 26, Really, well, 18 through verse 34, we have a few different examples of Christ healing some other people. We have uh, in verse 18 and following, going down through verse 26, we have Jesus uh, healing uh, Jairus' daughter. And Jesus is there. Jairus comes to him. He falls down. He asks Christ to heal him. And while he's there, and he gets up and he goes to follow uh, Jairus to his house. And there's a huge throng of people around him him he's completely surrounded and while he's leaving it says in verse 20 behold a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment for she, she said to herself if i only touch his garment i will be made well he turned and seeing her he said take heart daughter your faith has made you well and instantly the woman was made well so we have Jesus going to heal Jairus' daughter, and, and while he is in the process of, of going to do that, this woman touches the hem of his garment, and because of, of her faith, because of, of course, Jesus' uh, ability to heal, she is healed of her issue of blood. And then after this, we see that whenever Jesus arrives at Jairus' house, his daughter has passed away. They see the flute players, and, and people were mourning and weeping, and and Jesus says to them in verse 24, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all the district. I know a lot of these things in the past few chapters that we've been looking at, Christ healing all of these different people, it, it might seem like it's a bit redundant. But there's a purpose for it, and that purpose is proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Again, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. 
Jesus did many other miracles. He performed many other signs, but these things are recorded for us so that we will believe that he is the Messiah. And we have ample examples and ample proof that he is. And one of those is the fact that he performed these miracles and he healed these people like Isaiah prophesied. We have two more examples there in verses 27 through 31 where Jesus heals these two blind men. And also in verses 32 through 34, we have the example of him healing a mute man. And in verse 34 of this particular passage, the Pharisee says, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. Now this is something that is addressed again in, in chapter 12, verses 22 through 32. So we'll look at that as we have more time uh, when we get to Matthew chapter 12. But here these people are blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, saying that, that Christ was casting out these demons by the power of the devil. And then in the last part of this chapter, in verses 35 through 38, Jesus is, is talking to his disciples. And when he saw the crowd, it says in verse 36, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus sees these people. He sees their condition. He sees, as, as, as it says, like they are like sheep without a shepherd. They have no direction. They have no guidance. They are in desperate need of instruction. And he says to his disciples to pray that God will send laborers into his vineyard. Because there's a lot of work. There's a lot of work to be done. And there's just simply not enough people to do it. And that's why for Christians, for those of us that are followers of God, we need to do our part. Because there are still people today that are like sheep without a shepherd. There are still people who are being misled, that are being misguided, or have no direction, no guidance at all. And we need to do our part in the work of the Lord to help show others the way of the Lord, to, to expound to them, to show them the way of the Lord more perfectly. I thank you so much for your time today, and I hope you will tune in again on Monday as we begin looking at uh, Matthew chapter 10. Thank you so much for your time and for your attention. I hope that this has built you up and I hope that this has helped you in some way to prepare you to be a better servant of God. Thank you so much for your time and for your attention.